Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? It has been a couple weeks since I have been here, so it is good to be back with you this morning. You know, over these last couple of weeks, the Psalms that we have been looking at, Psalm 51 and then Psalm 32 last week, the Psalms have been all about sin. The, the heaviness of sin, the weight of sin, and the sweet release from the guilt of sin for those who come to God for the forgiveness that only He can provide. These two psalms coming, coming out of David's life, when, when David totally misses the mark and finds himself in a situation once the blinders of his sin come off, Because that's what sin is. Sin is blindness. Once the blinders of his sin come off, David finds himself desperate for the mercy and the forgiveness that is available to those in relationship with God. Desperate to receive God's forgiveness and absolutely receiving that pardon. So that Psalms 51 is very much, God, have mercy on me. God, wash me clean from this guilt. And then Psalms 32 is very much a celebration of God's forgiveness. Yet, at the same time, this morning, as we come into Psalms 141 this morning, David still has to to walk through the pain, still has to walk through the heart-wrenching consequences that his sin has produced. Sin will always produce pain. That's so important that I need to say it again. Sin will always produce pain. Sin, regardless of what it is, whether it's an action or an omission or an attitude or thought, whether it's a sin of the magnitude that would make the nightly news, whether it's a sin that unfortunately for us is so commonplace that we don't even think twice about it, if it's a sin that, 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 that no other human may ever find out about it, sin will always produce pain. You may not see that, that, that pain. That, that pain may not be evident on the front side of your sin. It may not be evident to you even in, in the immediate aftermath of your sin. But you have to know that sin always produces pain. And so as we come into Psalm 141, David, he's learning from the consequences of his sin. He's learning from the blowback from his sin. David is learning how to be on guard because it is is not a question of if sin, if temptation comes knocking again. It is absolutely a question of when sin, when temptation comes knocking again. See, the thing that Psalm 141 gives us is quite simply one of the most powerful tools that you have as you seek to push back against the sin in your life. No matter what that sin is, as you seek to fight against the sin in your life and know that your fight against sin really is your fight for your joy. It is the fight for your freedom because sin will absolutely steal your joy, will absolutely steal your freedom. So what is this powerful tool that David shows us? 
Well, to see that, we've got to jump into Psalm 141. This morning, Ruth Ann is going to come and pray for us, pray over us, and to read our psalm. Ruth Ann? Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day and this opportunity that we have to come here to worship you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. I pray now for our time together in your word. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds for what you have for us. That you would help us clearly see your truth. What we need to respond to, what we need to surrender to you. I pray for Brian. I pray that you would just give him the words that you have for him to make this really clear to us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this body that we can join together here in worship to you. Thank you again for our time. Just bless our time. And we invite you here with us. In Jesus and in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Psalms 141. O oh Lord, I am calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offering to you, and my upraised hands as an evening offering. Take, take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. Let the godly strike me it will be kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. But I pray constantly against the wicked and their deeds. But when their leaders are thrown down from a cliff, the wicked will listen to my words and find them true. Like rocks brought up by a plow, the bones of the wicked will lie scattered without burial. I look to you for help, O Sovereign Lord. You are my refuge. Don't let them kill me. Keep me from the traps they have set for me, from the snars of those who do wrong. Let the wicked fall into their own nets and let me escape. Thank you, Ruth Ann. When my family and I were heading to South America, we made a pit stop first. We spent eight months in Central America, in Costa Rica, in language school. And this language school was, was full of brand new missionaries heading to all parts of Latin America. And during our first week of school, the school leadership sat us down and essentially said to us, look, whatever sin or sins that haunted you, whatever sins that you were dabbling in back home, those don't simply go away because you've crossed international borders. If anything, those sins get worse. Here you are, 
Nobody knows you. You don't know anyone. Whatever support structures that you may have had in place are now thousands of miles away. And because this is Latin America, there's a whole truckload of new trouble that you can get into here that probably wasn't even on your radar back in the States. And so the question that they pose to us is, so what you gonna do? You better have a plan in place right now. Just days after getting off the airplane, you better have a plan in place for what you are going to do for how you are gonna gonna push back against the sins in your life. Essentially, they were asking us, what are you going to do to fight for your freedom? And so they, they introduced an acronym that was new to me and that I've tweaked a little bit, but introduced an acronym to help us recognize when we would be especially vulnerable, especially at risk for falling into sin. This is that acronym. It's the word HALT. Hurt, angry, lonely, tired. Has anybody heard of this, seen this before? Essentially the idea is if if these things are, are happening in your life, then you better hold up and proceed with caution. Hurt, you've been wounded by someone angry. There is someone or something pushing you over the edge. Lonely, you're missing someone or you're thinking, ha, there's nobody here to catch me. Tired, you're beat down physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Again, if if, if these things are going on in your life, you better hold up and proceed with caution. Know that the backstory to Psalm 141 is very likely this. David is writing this psalm against the backdrop of his, of his very own son, Absalom, staging a coup, staging a violent rebellion against him. We see that in 2 Samuel chapter 15. There in verse 13, it says, A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, All Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once or it will be too late, David urged his men. Hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. So if we go back to our acronym, David's own son leading a violent rebellion against him. Is David hurt? Can you imagine the pain of having your own son, your own child trying to take you out? Is David angry? He's got every right to be. Is David lonely? He's got to leave his home. He's got to leave his capital city, his support systems. This, This is one of the reasons that interpreters play Psalm 141 during this time. In verse two, where David says, accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. David essentially is saying, God, I cannot get back to to the tabernacle that's back in Jerusalem because I've I've had to get out of Dodge because they're trying to kill me. So accept my prayer here because it's the only thing that I got. Is David tired? 
literally life on the run that's got to be exhausting. So as we look to Psalm 141, all, all the warning signs that say, David, you are on a slippery slope here. All the warning signs are in play. And so in the middle of this prayer for help that we get in Psalms 141, God, you've got to help me here. We have verses 3 and 4 and 5. It's another reason why it makes sense that this whole thing, Psalm 141, is going down during Absalom's rebellion, which occurs about nine years after David's sin with Bathsheba and then having her husband Uriah killed. You can almost hear, hear David say, by, by the way that these verses are jammed right into the middle of David's cry for help, you can almost hear David say, wait, I recognize this. This is the slippery slip. This is, let me try that again. This is the slippery slope of sin. That's a mouthful. Because how easy would it be for David How easy is it for you to respond to sin with sin? You can almost hear David in these verses say, nope, not this time. I I am not going back to the pain and to the misery that sin produces. God, take control of what I say. God, don't let me drift towards sin. God, don't let me take an active part in evil. David knows that that sin, while while it may look like a delicacy, while it may look sweet, really it's bitter poison. David goes on into into verse 5, and this is where we'll focus our time this morning. David goes on to say, God, do not allow me to refuse the correction of the godly people around me. Yeah, it might sting. Yeah, it might be hard to hear. Yeah, it, it might be hard for me to admit, but if that correction allows me to course correct, if that correction allows me to avoid the pain that sin always produces, David says, this is what I want. And so this here in verse 5 is that powerful tool, one of the most powerful tools that you have as you seek to push back against the sin in your life. No matter what that sin is, as you seek to fight against the sin in your life, it's the powerful tool of, of opening your life up to someone someone who is godly, someone who is mature, someone who is courageous enough to call a spade a spade in your life, but opening your life up to someone who will help you see your blind spots, who who will call you out in love when you are on the slippery slope of sin. It's been my experience that in church, We talk about opening our lives up to a person or a group that will allow us to live out of the wisdom of Psalm 141, verse 5. But for all the talk about the benefits that that we say that, that we know that come out of a Psalm 141, verse 5 kind of relationship, the truth in my experience is that very few of us actually have people in our lives where we share openly no holds barred, that we give permission to call us out. 
Now, I was in a group one time, and we were having this very same discussion, and so we did a quick informal poll, and out of the 30 people in the room, only two, only two were in the kind of relationships that they were actively seeking out what David is talking about here in verse 5. These two people had, had, had persons in their lives with whom they had agreed to keep no secrets. They had agreed to be an open book. They had, had given permission, hey, if you see me getting sideways in my life, I give you permission to call it out. So let me ask you, are, are you opening your life to someone to whom you can say, as part of a regular check-in, hey, I am struggling with blank. Whatever that might be for you, no matter how embarrassing, no matter how ugly that thing is, I am struggling with blank. Help me think this through. Help me see this situation clearly. What am I failing to see here? Are you opening your life to someone who will always point you to Jesus? Do you have someone like that in your life? This morning, I've invited Jay Milan to come and share with us the importance that he's found personally in that kind of relationship. First of all, speaking to the point of having someone in my life that would love me enough to confront me. Uh, Several years ago, our son Scott was home for Christmas vacation, home, uh, home from Minnesota, and during that time he was using my computer and discovered some inappropriate material that I had downloaded onto it. He confronted me, lovingly confronted me on it, and I had to confess it was a very humiliating time, very embarrassing time in my life. Uh, but it was also a very healing time. I have been very fortunate to have a very supportive family. Carol stood by me totally. And by the way, if any man is ever struggling with anything, we need our wife's support, not condemnation. But it was, uh, it, it was a time that had really, uh, it was some real, real blessings came out of that. And three things that I, that I want to point out after that painful experience uh, in my life. One was the power that God gave me from that point on to resist that temptation was more power than I ever had before in that area. I never touched a computer since that for that purpose and, and for that I'm very thankful. The second point uh, in that is that it, it gave me an opportunity for ministry I guess to to journey with other men who had struggled on some of those same points. God has given me the opportunity to do that. And the third thing is, I think many times we will see a friend struggling. We know we should confront them, but we have a fear. Satan puts this little thought in our mind is, in that, you know, this person will reject us. They will, they will break the friendship but that my son would have enough courage to confront me and enough love. Out of that relationship, out of that time, our relationship has grown uh, to a level that 
perhaps we wouldn't have without that. And just uh, yesterday morning, I called him to tell him I was going to be sharing this. And we had a great conversation about transparency in the church and the value of it. And then his last thing was, Dad, let me pray for you. And so he prays for me right over the phone. And that's, that's a relationship that I wouldn't trade for anything. The other part that I want to speak about is the value of accountability in my life. From, uh, from around that time on, or there, have, there was another individual, another man, and I were discussing some of our issues one night, and we decided to get together for accountability. And out of that uh, time, out of that discussion, we started meeting, I think we met for probably close to 10 years. Every other Saturday morning at six o'clock, we would meet. And some of the discussion questions we would have, in fact, we covered a lot of things Brian has on the board here, but we had some pointed questions for one another, and they were issues like, how are you doing in your personal, de in your personal devotion time? How are you doing with your wife and family? How are you doing with sexual purity? What are you watching? Those are tough questions. And the last question that we always had was the real stinger. Have you lied about any of the above? And there were many times we had to back up and say, eh, you know, I wasn't quite honest there. But through that experience, through that experience of having someone that just knew everything about me, I could trust, that trust level to have a friend at that point was so valuable in my life. And I only, I look back many times and say, why didn't I discover that 30 years ago? Uh, that, that, that can be so strong in your spiritual life to keep us, to keep us from crashing. Because I think in my experience, as I've journeyed with men who have crashed, there's two main things that it is, it's every time the, the man has stopped having a strong personal devotional life and the second point, he has no accountability. And a man without, without those two things is just one step away from disaster, one step away from a crash. So that's my, I, I, you just can't, from my personal experience, you know, personal accountability, I still have men in my life uh, that I am accountable to. It is invaluable. And, and for you women, we men know uh, this sounds like a man thing here, but we men know that you women are just as messed up as we are. <laughs> thank you, Jay, for sharing, and thank you for your courage. Again, please know that, that this is one of the most powerful tools in your fight against the sin that is in your life. So when I ask myself, why, why don't we do this? I can come up with at least two reasons. I'm convinced that, that we don't engage in these, re these relationships because that kind of healthy vulnerability scares us and our sin does not scare us enough. Because time is short this morning, I've only got time to, ch to chase after point two here. I'm going to give you an illustration that I have outright stolen from Matt Chandler, who is a pastor in Texas. 
I don't usually steal illustrations outright, but this is so good, I have to. Do you remember the show When Animals Attack? I think it ran in the mid-90s. So for those of us that were around, right, this is a show that is all about a show that captures videos of people getting jacked up by animals. Typical storyline is this, right? Right, guy somehow gets a grizzly cub as a pet, raises the bear, plays with the bear, pets the bear, walks the bear around on a leash, says how, how gentle the bear is, me and this bear go way back, no danger here. And then the shot cuts to the bear biting into the guy's arm, shaking the guy like a rag doll, and then picking his teeth with the guy's severed arm. And in the follow-up interview, inevitably after the attack, the story is always the same. Did not see that coming. (laughs) And you're at home yelling at your TV, what do you mean you didn't see that coming? It's a grizzly bear ripping arms off of people. That's what grizzly bears do. Do you know it's the same way with the sin in our lives? We want to play with the sin. We want to pet the sin. We want to walk the sin around on a leash. See how, see how gentle this sin is. Me and this sin go way back. No danger here. And then when that sin is shaking you like a rag dog, you think, where did that come from? Did not see that coming. Each one of us need people in our lives who we are willing to be vulnerable with, who we can admit to, yeah, I'm keeping a grizzly out back. Yeah, I'm keeping this sin out back. Someone in your life who you give permission to call you out in love, what are you thinking? Why don't you see the danger in this? Someone who will help you get the grizzly out of your life. Someone who will help you in your fight against the sin in your life. Someone who, as you share the good and the bad and the ugly, someone who will most importantly point you to Jesus. See, talking about sin is heavy. Talking about the fact that sin will always produce pain is heavy. That, that heaviness, that pain, if you are able to see your sin correctly, that heaviness and that pain should always point you to Jesus. The one who has come to rescue you from your sin. See, the thing about sin is this. Sin really is a vision problem. Sin really is about misdirected love. Sin is finding something more appealing to you than Jesus is. But you have to know that those things that you chase after in your sin, whether you realize it or not, those things that you chase after, usually something that you think 
will give you some measure of satisfaction or significance or security. Those things that if you are a follower of Jesus, that satisfaction, that significance, that security that is already yours through Christ. This past Friday, I was spending my own time in Scripture in the book of Colossians and a couple of verses from Colossians jumped out at me making exactly this same point. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom, who purchased your freedom and forgave our sins, forgave your sins. And now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Rescue, freedom, forgiveness, reconciliation, closeness, that as a follower of Christ, you are holy. You are blameless. You you are without a single fault. This is who you are as a follower of Jesus. Who are you opening your life up to who who will, will remind you regardless of your sin, regardless of your past, regardless of the sin that you are tangled up in right now? Who are you opening your life up to who will remind you that this is yours? Who will you open your life up to who will remind you that as a follower of Jesus, this is who you are? If you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, these could be yours today. Because of the truth that we have in Scripture, the sin that will always produce pain The sin that we all play with in our lives does not make any sense because, again, that sin will always produce pain and heartache. Why choose pain when joy and freedom can be yours? So let me come back to my question one last time. Are you opening your life to someone to whom you can say, I am struggling with whatever that might be? Help me think this through. Help me, help me see this situation clearly. What am I failing to see here? Are you opening your life to someone who will always point you to Jesus? Because literally, your joy is at stake here. This morning, what do you need to do to allow you to answer yes to this question? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may, may, may we not dismiss this. May you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, drive this point that we are not called to walk the Christian life alone, but to, to lean on our brothers and our sisters to bring our sin that we all struggle with out into the light. That takes courage. We need your help, which... 
is exactly what David is doing in the midst of, of Psalm 141. He, he is calling on you for help. And so this morning, help us. May, may your Holy Spirit move powerfully amongst us. May we see with clarity the joy and the freedom that is ours because of how you have loved us through your Son, Jesus. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.